0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Open your Bibles, your apps to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we look at a message I've entitled this morning, Stormy Encounters. Stormy Encounters. Mark chapter 4, we're going to begin all the way down in verse 35. That day when evening came... Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. And look was the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It was the Gentile side, remember that. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died and it was completely calm he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Father, we are grateful for the freedom we enjoy as a nation. We're grateful for the freedom we have in Christ. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, the freedom from sin, freedom from bondage. So Lord, as we look at uh, these two stormy encounters, I pray that you would teach us And let us be doers of the word, not merely hearers in Christ's name. Amen. We've all been hit by unexpected storms. It may be the storm of infidelity. It may be the storm of divorce. It may be the storm of job loss, the the storm of betrayal, the storm of rejection, the storm of abuse, the storm of disease, the storm of broken relationships, the storm of anxiety or worry of depression. We've all been battered and hit by storms at times. Where do you turn when you encounter storms? When you are hit by a stormy encounter, what do you do? Where do you turn to and how do you cope? Some of us run to the past and we hide. Some of us run to a bottle or pill and we medicate. Some of us run to work or the mall to avoid facing it, and some of us just run away or we totally shut down. What do you do when the storms come? Some of you remember this story I've used before about a stormy encounter and the response that uh, certain people had to it. There was an elderly lady, age 78, who was doing her grocery shopping. Upon returning to her car, she came across, she came behind her car, got ready to open the trunk, and she saw four guys in it, and the car was starting. She threw everything down. She grabbed her handgun from her purse. She walked up to the driver, and she said, Get out of my car, you scumbags. I know how to use this gun. The four men didn't wait for a second invitation. They flung open the doors, and they ran like mad. The lady was shaken. She opened the back door. She set her groceries in, and she was shaken so hard she could barely get her key in the ignition. She tried two times, three times, four times, and her key didn't fit the ignition. She realized as she looked up, her car was parked four spaces over in that direction. She was so rattled, she grabbed her groceries out of the backseat of her car. She went and put them in her car and went straight to the local police station. The story says she walked up to the sergeant at the desk and told her the story, and he doubled over with laughter. (laughs) He pointed to a conference room. In the conference room were were four very pale white males. (laughs) They were reporting a carjacking by a mad elderly woman. She was described as white, less than five feet tall, wearing glasses, curly white hair, carrying a very large handgun. No charges were filed, as a conclusion of that report. Can you imagine when those guys went home that night, the conversation they had with their wives? You're not going to believe what happened to us in the parking lot of the grocery store. Hey, babe, don't mess with old ladies. I'm going to tell you that one. Or you imagine when they were driving, walking back to the grocery store parking lot and the conversation they had among themselves. Probably paled in comparison to the talk around the campfire the night that these two events take place. You can almost hear the talk around the campfire. Man, that was one storm we went through. I mean, these were fishermen who were scared to death by a storm. That was one storm we went through. I'm glad Jesus was here, aren't you? You can hear the talk. That was a crazy man we met on the shore when we got there. I mean, did you see the way he looked? And then you can see somebody poking, shh, here comes Jesus. The talk around the campfire had to be interesting. Had to be interesting at the end of that day. Just like those four guys had a story to tell, the disciples had a story to tell. So I'd like to share with you two stormy encounters and one conclusion this morning. Very simple message. Two stormy encounters and really one conclusion. And the conclusion is about the identity of the one who can take you through any storm. The identity of the one who can take you through any storm. Some of you are in the midst of storms right now. Some of you have been through storms and you're the end. And if you haven't been through or you're not in, they're coming. I can promise you that. The scriptures tell us that in James chapter 1. When you encounter various trials, it doesn't say if you encounter, but when you encounter. And when you encounter those stormy things, those stormy days, those stormy events in life, who do you turn to, where do you turn, and what do you do? Well, if we look at the context of what's happening here, the constant crush of the crowds has given Jesus no margin. He needs to be refreshed, and he needs to be rested. So when evening comes, after another exhausting day of teaching, he's ready for Sabbath. And so he tells his disciples in verse 35, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side. When the boat is traveling across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus finds a cushion. He goes to the stern and he takes a break. By the way, this is not some cruise ship with a bunch of nice beds that you can go to and a bathroom and all that stuff. We've been on the Sea of Galilee and replica ships on several occasions. And this is probably a type of sailboat, maybe with oars, probably with just sails. Or it probably had some oars, but it's not an easy place to sleep. And Jesus is cupped down in the stern and probably the cushion are fishing nets. We're not sure what they are. But Jesus is so tired, he's fast asleep. He's fast asleep. On the Sea of Galilee, if you've read about it or if you've seen it and know about it, storms come up quickly and they can be pretty brutal. These are fishermen. This must have been a very brutal storm. The storm, it came up quickly. It says in verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. Have you ever been in a boat that nearly gets swamped? I mean, I I, I worked uh, four summers in the Gulf of Mexico when I was in college. I worked on oil rigs and worked on uh, barges and stuff. And so four summers I spent out there. The fourth summer we were offshore, we're 110 miles offshore. We had the option to go early, go in early one night on a uh, crew boat, or wait for the helicopter to come out the next day that would ferry us in. Most of us chose the crew boat because we get in three or four hours ahead of time. And uh, the four summers I spent in the Gulf of Mexico, almost every time, was in and out by crew boat or living out there. And when we came in this particular night, we hit a summer squall in the Gulf of Mexico. It was the tail end of a tropical storm. Tropical storm didn't get close to us. They'd evacuate the rigs and stuff, but it was out there. And, and we hit a storm, and we began to, we're in a 100-foot crew boat, so it's a big, big boat. And we began to bounce around like a top in the ocean. And I watched guys who were veterans on the oil rigs begin to puke their guts up. And it seemed like every time you were on top of a wave that that you could see down into the valley. And and it was like the the world went on forever. You couldn't see too far because of the driving rain. But when we were in the bottom, you could see the waves crashing over the deck. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but it's terrifying. It's scary. I, I was just a kid. And uh, as we did that, and I watched these guys and their response, I, I was like the disciples. I'm thinking, this may be the end. This may be the end. And so they're getting swamped. They're at the end, the, the waves are breaking over the boat, and they're getting ready to go down. Jesus is asleep on the cushion. He's knocked out. He's resting in the hands of his Father. All of a sudden, the disciples, in their fear, go and wake up Jesus. Psst, Jesus. 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 Time to wake up. Uh, look at what it says here. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? The disciples woke him. When Jesus woke up, he was looking into 12 pair of fearful, faithless eyes. 12 pairs, bloodshot, with fear and faithlessness. These guys are terrified. They're scared to death. So here's Jesus, sound asleep, in the boat. It must have been a profound slumber that the wearied master took upon himself. And with the sea threatening to swallow him up, they awake Jesus. They yell at him, probably over the howls of the water, so he can come to their rescue. And so Jesus does what is absolutely amazing. It says he rebuked the wind and the waves. The wind and the waves. He looks at his twin sons of nature, and he goes, shh. Be quiet. Shh. Quiet. Be still. He looks at these twin sons, the wind and the waves, and he speaks to the wind first, the scriptures teach us, and then the waves, and he says, be still. We have twin grandsons that are seven years old. They're bad. Actually, they've gotten a lot better. They've gotten a lot better. But when they were younger and they were really bad, I mean, sometimes we'd, we'd take them to a movie. And in the middle of the movie, we'd say, Hudson, Jackson, quit fighting, quit talking, it's a movie. We didn't holler at them, but we'd, shh, be quiet. Sometimes they'd come to church with us. And uh, they would not act like little saints. And so we would lean over and said, honey and Papa Doe are going to, no. You're embarrassing honey and papadoe. No, we did the same thing you do with your kids. God's going to get you if you're not Quiet. How many of you have said that somewhere along the way beyond it? Yeah, there you go. You scare these kids. Out. I don't want to go to church anymore. <laughs> I, I mean, these twins are roughhousing, and their father stands up and says, Shh, be quiet. And what happens next? He rebuked them, and the wind died, and was completely calm. Isn't that amazing? The wind died, And it's completely calm. All of a sudden, he stands over the forces of nature and he bridles them in his hands because this is an encounter with the natural realm and Jesus says, submit to me, you're under my control. And they stop. It's like a parent disciplining the kids and they stop right there. It's over. It's done. The rough housing is finished. The sails go limp. The seas become quiet and Jesus is in control. And then the disciples really get afraid. You thought they were afraid because of the sea? Look at what it says next in your Bibles. It says the disciples. That first of all, he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples, verse 41, were terrified. You know what the Greek word for terrified means? Terrified. You ever been terrified? I mean, they are scared to death. And they ask one another, who is this? Who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves listen to? Who is this? Ken Geyer is an author that I enjoy reading. And uh, Ken Geyer, one of his books on the Gospels, just comments in this section. He says, Then their eyes see, referring to Jesus. He who stands before them is no mere teacher, no mere prophet, no mere faith healer. He who stands before them holds the wild mane of nature in the tight grip of his hand. To him the unbridled forces of nature submit without so much as a kick or a whinny of resistance. And in the wet, shivering presence of such a power, the disciples stand terrified, knowing that the man who slept in the stern rose from that sleep to do what only God can do. They were terrified, and they asked one another, who is this man? Let me make a couple of quick applications. We'll move on the story to application number one. The most important question you can ask today is not where we're going to have lunch. It's not who will win the Cowboys Saints game tonight. It's not will Baylor play in the national championship game. It's not who are you going to marry. It's not what am I going to get for Christmas this year. It's not, am I going to make that sale or get that promotion? The most important question in your life right now and forever is the same question the disciples ask, who is this? Who is this? Who is this who stands up to these twins that are roughhousing and says, when be quiet and ways be quiet, and they listen and they are still, who is this man? That's the most important question you will ever ask while you have life on this planet. Because your answer to that question determines where you'll spend all of eternity. Who is this man? Who is he? And the disciples look up in terror. This display of power, this miracle demonstrates that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, He is the ruler of all nature little Baptist church I grew up in, we would go to when I was a kid and we sang a hymn. It was called Fairest Lord Jesus. How many of you know that hymn and sang that hymn? Fairest Lord Jesus, first stanza goes, ruler of, say it loud, a ruler of all nature. Where do you think they get that from? Where do you think they get it from? Whoever wrote that song saw verses like this and stories like this and said, Indeed, he is the ruler over everything. All of nature submits to him. Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature. You know, when did we quit fearing God? These guys look at Jesus. You can underline it. In fact, I'd encourage you to line verse 41. They were terrified, underlined toward terrified. And then they ask the question, Who is this? Say with me, Who is this? Who is this? most important question ever. When do we get so familiar with God that we quit fearing him? That we quit fearing him? I think one of, the, one of the sad things in the evangelical church, or the church in general, every church, at the end of the 20th and the beginning of the 21st century, we don't fear God anymore. God's become my pal. God's become our buddy. He's become our chum. And we should be deathly afraid of God. We, we should fear God. I like what Michael Iaconelli says in his book, Messy Spirituality. How do we end up so comfortable with God? How did our awe of God get reduced to lukewarm appreciation of God? How did God become a pal instead of a heart-stopping presence? How can we think of Jesus without remembering his ground-shaking, thunder-crashing, stormy exit on the cross? Why aren't we continually catching our breath and saying, this is no ordinary God? Do you fear God? Oh, yeah, Pastor, I fear God. I have reverential awe of him. I mean, that's a theological term, isn't it? I've got reverential awe of God. What in the heck does that mean? What does that mean? These guys are terrified. They're standing in the boat of Jesus with Jesus, and they saw a storm, but that was nothing compared to what they're feeling after they saw his power. And we treat Jesus like a good luck charm. When I was a kid, I had a rabbit's foot. Any of you have a rabbit's foot? some of you are thinking, that's a sick thing. Somebody killed a rabbit cut of his foot and you stuck it in your pocket. Well, you bought them and they were treated and whatever else. Some treat Jesus like a rabbit's foot. Hey, come along with me, Jesus. We'll have a good time together. You can be my good luck charm. We'll, we'll go find four-leaf clover so we can have good luck. Jesus is our four-leaf clover. Or, or we, we want, you know, Jesus to be our Aladdin lamp. Jesus, I'm going to start this business. Come and bless it. Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this direction. Come along with me. Really? What happened to Jesus? I am your servant. You are the Lord and master of the universe. And whatever you want to do, I'm going to follow you because that blesses you. What happened to that? Do you really fear God? You go out and sleep with somebody you're married, not married to, and you, you, sh- you should be shaking your boots right now. You've got a judgmental, critical spirit of other believers. You should be deathly afraid right now. That's what it means to fear God. You go out and get wasted last night and then show up at church thinking you can do some kind of penance to, penance to please God. You ought to be deathly afraid right now. See, There was a husband and wife in the New Testament. They made a pledge to God. They didn't follow up on their pledge. You Remember what happened to them? God killed them both right on the spot. One of the reasons we don't do pledges at TBC is because of that very thing right there. I mean, when do we quit fearing God? I've got reverential awe of God. What the heck does that mean? That's a great theological answer. What does that mean? Reverential awe of God. I walk a couple of times a week with some of my buddies. You ever have a dog chase you when you're walking? That's fear. Okay, I do two things. First of all, I start looking for a stick somewhere. Or secondly, I always bring somebody slower than me when I walk so I can just take on. <laughs> hey, we're more afraid of some dog than we are the living God of the universe. And these disciples look at him and said, if you're living in sin and don't think twice about it, and you're not willing to repent and confess of it, I wouldn't leave this room until you did business with God. I'd be scared to death. He is the terrifying, frightening God of the universe. Now with that said, with that said, let me back up this is tom skinner tom skinner was an african-american teacher for campus crusade great preacher we're talking about how great our savior is and what he's over jesus christ tom skinner said is not a church he's not an institution he is a person he is not a republican or democrat some of you don't believe that statement actually he's not a democrat or republican he is the lord of heaven he is not a catholic or communist some of you don't believe that statement he is christ of god he is not black, he is not white, and some of you don't believe that statement. He is God's answer to the entire human dilemma. I love what Tony Evans, my, preacher, my uh, professor at Dallas Seminary said in one of his sermons, when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back to take sides, he's coming back to take over. Period. And we're not even afraid of him. So he said, man, I don't want to go to church where I teach you, You've got to fear God. You know, I thought God was loving and graceful, he is. He's like Aslan. Know who Aslan is? How many of you know who Aslan is? Personification of Jesus in C.S. Lewis's books, The Chronicles of Nornia. In those books, one of the things that C.S. Lewis says about Aslan, he says, he's not safe, but he is good. He's not safe, but he is good. And that's what I can say about our Savior. He's not safe, but he's good. And some of you can say, that's bad theology. Really. You want Jesus to be your buddy and your friend and come along and bless what you're doing. He's the all-powerful God of the universe who holds the mane of nature in his hand. You should be terrified if you're going to trifle in sin. Now, if you're forgiven and walking with Jesus, you're fine. But you should still be terrified. You should still fear God. God allows storms in your life to strengthen, not shipwreck your faith. First application, he is the ruler of all nature, fear him. Second application, God allows storms in your life to strengthen, not shipwreck your faith. When the waves of the storm crash upon the disciples, fear weakened their faith. Fear weakened their faith. Some of you have gone through difficult times and you are scared to death. You're afraid the prodigal will never return home. You're, you're afraid that your marriage will never be saved. You're afraid that the disease is going to kill you. And I get bad news for you, one day it will. One day it will. But the good news is you'll be in the presence of the Savior if you know him. God allows storms in your life to strengthen, not shipwreck your faith. When the waves of life, storms, come crashing around us, don't let your your faith be weakened by fear. Fear is a powerful beast. You know that? Powerful beast. I, I think we're surrounded by it. I've experienced it. You've experienced it. It's a powerful beast. One author says this, safety is not the absence of danger, but it's the presence of God can be an awful beast. Jesus, or the God says this, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not look anxiously about you. I am your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, when we are fearful, when we are fearful, we have a Father we can cling to. We have a Savior we can turn to. Fear. I don't want you to miss something. You know, I, I've studied the Word of God in depth for over four decades now. I saw something preparing for this I hadn't seen before. I've heard this passage taught. I've taught this passage in the other, uh, two of the other three Gospels. If you're writing your Bibles, underline, underline the question of the disciples. Teacher, don't you what? Care. Fear caused the disciples to question the character of Jesus. Don't you care? The question is Character. You wouldn't be sleeping if you really cared about this. Fear can do that to us. Fear corrodes our confidence in God's goodness. Fear makes us wonder if love really lives in heaven. Fear makes us wonder how God can sleep during the storm when our eyes are wide open. Fear causes us to question, is he good? Does he care? Is he there? And the disciples come to him and say, don't you care? Don't you care? They question the character of Christ. If you really cared, you'd have done something by now. If you really cared, you wouldn't let me go through that. If you really cared, you wouldn't give me the roommate from hell. If you really cared, you wouldn't give me this marriage that, that I envy other people of good marriage. If you really cared, you wouldn't let my son or my daughter go in that direction. If you really cared, I wouldn't have the disease. If you really cared, you finish it up and our fear corrodes our faith. I speak from experience you don't think I've had a little fear in the last seven months I've had a little fear but I'm going to tell you by God's grace and by God's grace alone don't mishear me by God's grace alone my faith has been strengthened and I pray that for you I desperately because I know what it's like I'm the guy that's never had two sleepless nights in my whole life and had to go on medicine to get to sleep You don't think I had some fear? You don't think I'm battling with God? God, I am a man who trusts you, who honors you with my life. My faith is weak right now. You've got to strengthen me. And he did and he does. He did and he does. So, so then we read a second story. It's an amazing story. It's an encounter in the supernatural realm. No sooner disciples get over the storm in the water and the storm in the boat of Jesus himself. They pull up at the at, at the seashore, and it's amazing what they encounter. I mean, it, the next story is amazing. They they end up in the Gerasenes, the region of the Gerasenes. That's the Gentile region. Well, no, it's the Gentile region because of what they encounter. They encounter a man around tomb. They encounter a bunch of pigs. Jews don't raise pigs. Pigs run clean. This is the Gentile area. It's across the sea. So they've rowed across the sea. They've sailed across the sea. They've weathered the storm, and they end up, and they, they hit the beach, and they meet a guy who is a beachhead for Satan himself. I mean they meet a guy who is absolutely crazy and I society, say we'd lock this guy up his hair is matted, he's filthy he, he's got, he's got uh, scars where he's tried to kill himself he has scars where they've tried to restrain him and he's broken loose and nobody wants to deal with him, he's a wild man, he lives in the tombs because he lives like a dead man, he screams like a coyote screaming in the night the scriptures tell us all this, I'm not making it up when Jesus got out of the boat, verse 2 a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs, he lived in the tombs because no No one could bind him anymore not even with a chain he had he had some kind of superhuman strength he often had been chained hand and foot but he tore the chains apart he broke the irons on his feet no one was strong enough to subdue him night and day he lived among the tombs in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones we'd lock up he's the worst nightmare you've ever had when this dude shows up you want to run the other way when the disciples hit that beach they thought they had seen the worst storm but they're going to encounter an even stronger storm they're going to encounter a guy who is filled with demons. How many demons? We're not sure. When Christ asked who he is, he says, I'm legion. Legion means a Roman legion with 6,000 soldiers. I don't think it means this guy had 6,000 demons, but he had many, many demons. And by the way, let me state something at the very beginning. This is not a lesson on how to do exorcisms. I, I've read some books and seen people say, well, you've got to cast demons into other objects to get them out. And then they go, baloney baloney, I'm saying it from the pulpit, baloney this is not a lesson on exorcism this is a lesson about Jesus Jesus is the focus, not the demons I've heard this so mistaught, it's scary and so if you think that's what it teaches let's talk after, because you're wrong how's that for being overconfident <laughs> jeez I mean really, there's some terrible teaching out there, you've got to cast demons into other objects to get them out Jesus did it. You're not Jesus if you hadn't found that out yet. You're not. And so you look at this, and they hit the storm, and all of a sudden they're encountered with this, and they saw Jesus at a distance, and they shout at the top of their voice, Notice what happens, fell on the knees in front of him. They fell on their knees in front of him. The Romans fell on their knees before their rulers the pagans fell on their knees before their gods and the demons fall on their knees in front of Jesus. And you know, the religious leaders may debate about who Jesus is and the crowds may be divided about who Jesus is, but I'm going to tell you right now, the demons know who Jesus is. Look at verse 7. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Don't torture me. Wow. The demons understand who he is. James says the demons believe and they shudder. They're terrified in the presence of Jesus. And so, what happens next? Jesus said, Come out, you impure spirit. What is your name? My name is Legion. We are many. And he begged again and. Jesus, again not to be sent out of the area and the Lord's herd of pigs was feeding in the area and the demons begged Jesus send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them and he gave them permission the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs and their herds were about 2,000 they rushed down the steep bank into the lake it's interesting to see we've actually ridden in this area the Gerasenes and it butts up to the Sea of Galilee and there are cliffs there and you can see these you can only imagine in your mind these pigs gone flying off the, 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 the cliffs as Jesus commanded these demons to be entered, these these pigs and they go and And you've got these these pigs filled with demons. By the way, that's the first case of deviled ham in the Bible. That's free of charge. That's free of charge. But, but what you see here is, is even these demons are submitted, not only is the wind and the wave, not only are the wind and the waves the natural forces submitted to the realm, submitted to Jesus, but also the demons of hell, the supernatural, are submitted to the Savior. The Savior tells them where to go, he casts them out, and they listen and obey, because he is the Lord God of the universe, he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and in Mark's writing he's saying, Jesus is king above all. That's what he's saying. He's king above all that's the thread that mark is building through his gospels so what happens what happens well an amazing thing happens they came to jesus and they saw the man verse 15 who had been possessed by that the the people heard what happened those tending the pigs they ran to town and tell them what happened and they come and they saw the man who had been possessed by demons, verse 15. He's sitting there. He's dressed in his right mind. They were afraid. And those who had seen it told the people who happened to be demon, to the demon-possessed man. And they told him about the pigs running in the ocean. And then people began to plead with Jesus to come to their city so that he can perform miracles and understand who he is. Is that what happened? No. See, the first thing that happens, the demons beg Jesus then the townspeople beg Jesus to leave. They're terrified too. And so they run, and they say, Jesus, be gone. And Jesus is getting ready to get in the boat, and he's gone back to the other side where he came from. And he's getting to the boat. Who comes up but the demon-possessed man who's now free of all these demons. And Jesus getting in the boat. The man who had been demonized has begged to go along with him. Jesus didn't let him go. Instead, he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. By the way, people say Jesus never claimed to be God. Baloney, read the Bible. Go and tell people the Lord. Circle your Bibles, underline it. He's saying, I am the Lord of even the demons. I am God. That's what he's saying right there. And he, he, he had mercy on you. So the man went away. He began to tell people in Decapolis. Deca means ten. polis means cities. He went to ten cities and told people about Jesus. Three applications and i quit. Application number one. Application number one. Who is this man? Who is he? It's a question the disciples ask. They if that. who is this man? The demons understood, do you? Your answer to that question will determine where you spend eternity. He is the Lord God of the universe who died on your behalf and where you can find forgiveness. He is the one who is more powerful than anything in the natural or supernatural realm. Number two, demons are real and dangerous. Stand firm against them. I don't think this is a lesson on exorcism, but I do think it shows us the power of Satan and demons. I don't think you can be possessed, but you can be oppressed. And some of you are oppressed. You're prisoner of wars and don't even realize it. Thirdly, if a madman can become a missionary, God can use you. This guy was your worst nightmare. If he becomes a missionary. How about you? Telling people about Jesus? When's the last time you even invited somebody to come to church with you? Well, Pastor, I'm in all these Bible studies, you know? Quit the Bible studies. Really, you got to four Bible studies, you need to be in less than that. Start having unbelievers in your house. Invite international Said, do something. I My mean, head guy walking up one time and thought I'd be impressed. I mean, Pastor, we're in four Bible studies. Stop! You tell me get out a Bible says yeah I am get out go see what the world's like. I think this whole message teaches that Jesus God does not shelter us from life storms, but He shelters us in life storms. Worship team, would you guys come and join me? Have you have you had that experience? God doesn't shield you from life storms, but He shelters you in life storms. See, storms are going to come your way. You have stormy encounters. Who are you going to turn to and where are you going to run? Who are you going to turn to and where are you going to run? There's a lady named Laura Story. She's, she wrote the song that we're about to sing. I'm going to tell you Laura Story story. Okay? Bev met Laura Story. She's a worship leader at Perimeter Church, a huge church in the Atlanta area. Laura Story's, Laura Story's story is this. Hard to get that out. She was a uh, Christian artist, and God began to use her in great ways. Then her husband, I forget his name, I think it's Matt, you can look it up online. She and her husband had only been married for a couple of years. They're experiencing the joy of new marriage. He has seizure. Doctors go in and they do some scans. He has multiple brain tumors. Now, the good news is they were non-malignant. Surgery was successful, but in the midst of surgery, it impacted his brain. So sometimes he remembers Laura's name and sometimes he doesn't. They've had a couple of kids along the way. Sometimes he remembers them and sometimes he doesn't. I forget what he did. Engineer, computer engineer, I think, and now he can't work. So Laura Sturdy writes a song. Powerful God of the universe. You don't think she had a stormy encounter? Atoning sacrifice, keeper of this life, hallelujah. What a Savior. Beginning and the end, forgiver of my sin. By your mercy, you have saved us. Jesus, you're stronger. Some of you don't believe that. You're going to nod your head in agreement like reverential ah. Yeah, I fear God. But you really don't think Jesus is stronger than what you're experiencing right now because you're not living like it. But those words are true in every realm. Jesus, you're stronger more than any other. Hallelujah. What a Savior. I'm going to be down here. And some of you need to come up and you need to get on your knees and do business with God because you walk in fear. You live in fear, your life is fearful. You're bound up in fear. I know you, you know me, and you know it, and I know it. You get on your knees and just come before God and ask that fear to be replaced with faith. Some of you, you don't fear God. You're messing around with somebody you're not married to, either premaritally or extramaritally, and you don't fear God. Or you're the most judgmental, hypocritical person sitting in this audience, and we've got them, including me. You need to come and confess that before God. Some need to grab a husband's hand or a wife's hand and say, we need to pray. Our marriage needs to be restored. We are sick. We need help. All right, we're going to have some elders. If I get any elders, would you guys join me up here? Come and pray with an elder. Come and get on your knees by yourself. Grab your spouse's hand. Do business with God.